0: Hello everyone! Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey everyone! Welcome to this week's new car podcast. Today we actually had a, the reveal that we had a reveal that's happened today, and we had another reveal that I'm sure you guys want me to get into that happened recently, and that'll be coming I think this week, uh, this Thursday, I believe, by upload. And yeah, so this one, though, the car we're talking about today is the 2023 Aston Martin DBX 707. And it is the new king of performance SUVs, sort of, with 697 horsepower. Now, on the power front, it's not the king of performance SUVs. That's the Durango SRT Hellcat. That's your Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk, right? From a pure power standpoint, from a top speed standpoint, though, Aston Martin has a point. Let's get into it. After several spy shot appearances and official teasers, Aston Martin unveiled the performance flagship of the DBX range that is dubbed the DBX 707. Keeping its promise, the new variant is the most powerful luxury SUV. Most powerful luxury SUV. This is a point of contention because Top Gear just came out with a video on this thing and the presenter incorrectly said that this is, that this, the DBX 707 is the first production SUV in the world with 707, with, with over 700 horsepower. That's not true. Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk was the first, and then, uh, what is it, Tesla Model X Plaid, Durango SRT Hellcat, and the like. But this is the most powerful luxury, proper luxury SUV, you know, Rolls-Royce-type, Bentley-type luxury SUV in the world. Aston is right about that. With 697 horsepower from its tuned twin-turbo V8, and you might be wondering, they didn't go with a V12? They didn't go with a 6-liter V12? No, no, they didn't even go with like a 5-liter V8. I don't think they have a 5-liter V8, but no. They got all that power from the same AMG-sourced twin-turbo 4-liter that's in the Vantage, the lower-end Vantage. Yeah, that's a lot of power from a 4-liter V8, even if it has twin turbos, but I digress. Combined with a new wet clutch transmission, chassis upgrades, and some visual tweaks. Starting with the underpinnings, the AMG-sourced twin-turbo 4-liter V8 received a new tune from Aston Martin's own engineering team in order to produce an impressive 6 197 horsepower or 520 kilowatts or 707 ps and 900 newton meters or 663 pound-feet of torque this represents a massive 155 horsepower or 115 kilowatts or 157 ps and 200 newton meters or 147 pound-feet of torque increase over the stock va-powered dbx as a result the dbx 707 is more powerful than any other suv well no is one of the most powerful SUVs currently available in the market. It's not the most powerful. It's not more powerful than any other SUV on the market. That's not true. Again, Grand Cherokee Trackhawk, Durango SRT, Hellcat exist, right? It's funny. This is like when Maserati had the Kubang concept back in 2011. And they're like, we're going to make the first performance-oriented SUV ever because that doesn't exist. The Porsche Cayenne had existed for what? Six, six or seven years at that point? yeah i think Maserati has forgotten that the grand cherokee trackhawk and durango sr durango hellcat durango srt hellcat exist but nevertheless nevertheless this is one of the most powerful for sure it's not the most powerful it's not more powerful than any other it's one of the most powerful for sure because 707 horsepower right in line with the grand cherokee trackhawk right in line with the grand cherokee trackhawk and i think this actually makes more torque because if i remember correctly because the Hellcats make 707 horsepower well before their recent uh power bump and 650 pound-feet of torque. So, while this doesn't make more horsepower, it does actually make more torque than the Trackhawks. That much is fair. Because the Trackhawks, the Trackhawk makes 650 pound-feet of torque. Uh, actually, I think it's 645. 645 pound-feet of torque. And I think the Durango SRT Hellcat, same deal. 645 pound-feet of torque, but 710 horsepower. So, yeah, not more powerful than any other SUV on the market that DBX 707 is. It isn't that. But it is a strong contender for, for being one of the most, for sure. In any case, though, including... It is one of the most powerful SUVs currently available in the market, including the 641 horsepower, 478 kilowatt, 650 PS Lamborghini Urus, and the 626 horsepower, or 467 kilowatt, 635 PS, Bentley Bentayga Speed. See... That's just disingenuous because this Carscoops article says, as a result, the DBX 707 is more powerful than any other SUV currently available in the market. That's not true. It is more powerful than any other luxury, any other comparable luxury SUV available on the market. Things, things like the Lamborghini Urus, the Bentayga Speed, and so on. It is that, it's just not more powerful than any other SUV full stop. That isn't true. That's, see, that's where they should have been more specific. Moving on though, Aston Martin will likely retain this title until rival automakers' plug-in hybrid, yeah, see, rival automakers' plug-in hybrid performance SUV variants arrive in the next couple of years. In order to bring all this power on the road, the DBX 707 gets a new nine-speed wet clutch transmission, replacing the DBX's torque converter for faster gear changes. Thus, in combination with a tweaked all-wheel drive system and an upgraded limited slip differential, the SUV can accelerate from zero to 100 kilometers per hour. Or zero to sixty-two miles per hour in three point two seconds. That's viper fast. Aston Martin claims a top speed of three hundred and ten kilometers per hour, or one hundred and ninety-three miles per hour, making the DBX actually, genuinely the fastest model in the luxury SUV segment, surpassing the three hundred and six kilometer per hour, one hundred and ninety mile per hour top speed of the Bentley Bentayga Speed. That much is true. No qualifier. No caveat. For greater driving dynamics, the DBX707 received a series of of chassis tweaks over the standard DBX. These include a new setup for the adaptive triple-chamber air suspension with new damper valving and recalibrated recalibrated springs, the steering, and the electronic systems. Stopping power has also been improved thanks to the standard carbon-ceramic rotors measuring 420mm or 16.5 inches. God! At the front! and 390 millimeters, or 15.4 inches at the back with six piston brake calipers. Moving on to the interior, no, to the exterior, the DBX is already a handsome SUV, yeah, it's not bad, but the redesigned body kit makes the DBX 707 look even more aggressive from every angle, communicating the improved performance credentials. So in short, because we'll get into this later, imagine an Aston Martin DBS Superleggera front end on a DBX 707. It's kind of like that. let's see where is the gotcha okay found it again at the front changes include the larger grille see flanked by new intakes and drls plus a more prominent splitter these additions are not designed just for show as they improve aerodynamics and offer more cooling for the engine gearbox and brakes the optional 23 inch forged wheels standard 22 inches enhance the proportions and the handling while the side sills have an integrated fit have an integrated fin towards the rear the tail, which was the strongest point of the DVX, gets an impressive F1-style diffuser sticking out of the lower part of the bumper that also houses larger quad exhaust pipes and vertical inlets. Finally, a sharp rear spoiler extension is adding visual drama. Why did they say is adding visual All he had to say was finally a sharper rear spoiler extension adds visual drama. Moving on. The aero kit is finished in, in gloss black, but it is optionally available in carbon fiber. You know I would go that route. I'm a carbon... I'm a glutton for carbon fiber. <laughs> Getting inside, going to the inside of the cabin, you'll notice the new soft closed doors in the redesigned lower part of the center console. The latter gets new drive mode selection switches, including dedicated buttons for the suspension modes, ESP, manual gear selection mode, and active, and active exhaust switch, allowing the driver to quickly select his slash her preference without going through the touchscreen menu like in the DBX. Another addition is the standard sport seats. Comfort seats are a no-cost option with 16-way electric adjustment and heating. There are three choices of interior environments with the standard option offering a mix of leather and alcantara combined with piano black veneer. Of course, Q by Aston Martin is here for customers who want more personalization in terms of color, trim, and materials. The first deliveries of the Aston Martin DBX 707 are scheduled for the second quarter of 2022 with a starting price of $232,000 in the U.S. market. This makes it slightly more expensive than the rival Lamborghini Urus, but still cheaper than the Bentley Bentayga Speed. By the way, that $232,000 MSRP is a $46,400 premium over the standard DBX. But in fairness, you do get a massive performance enhancement over the normal DBX. Well, maybe, maybe we'll have to wait and see what the reviews say. Maybe it'll be like Chris Harris's beliefs on the 765 LT where it just makes the the 720S unnecessarily difficult and actually not that much faster. Well, supposedly not that much faster. The lap time he posted on Instagram a while ago, uh, if I remember correctly, it wasn't verified. We didn't know who the driver was. I'll have to, he posted it from fastest lap time. So I'll have to see if they found the driver and if there's been more lap times done with the 765 five LT. But apparently it wasn't that much faster, which is embarrassing to say the least. All right, hard stats out of the way though. Let's talk about the looks. Let me skip to where there's, you know, not a photo where the car is drenched in drenched in darkness and drenched in in mist let's see uh okay where's a front end photo a good one okay i think i found it earlier that's a bit of a yikes so like i said it's kind of like a dbs super legera dbx so it's got a bigger front grille. it's got bigger it's got bigger side intakes it's all it's just all around more aggressive in the front when they talked about that bigger splitter yeah they weren't kidding that is it doesn't stick out like an acr style splitter it's not really a chin as much as i would like it to be but it is more aggressive than the normal dbx and hopefully does improve the arrow that little bit i i kind of like it i kind of like the the bigger grill i kind of like the the bigger side side intakes i don't i don't know i was never a massive i was never in love with the dbx's front fascia to me it was kind of Kind of weird, like they kind of stretched their new design language to fit the height of a of an SUV body. So I was I was never quite in love with it. It wasn't it wasn't entirely natural to me. It was a bit of a grafted on affair kind of situation. But the bigger grille works for the SUV body because it fills out more of the face. So I like it. I like the splitter. I like the bigger side the bigger side vents, the bigger side intakes actually. If I were to If I were to rate the face and no, if I were to give the face a rating, let me think. Uh, hmm, I think I'd give it a 6.7, maybe a 6.8, maybe as high as six. It'd probably go to like 6.9. If I saw it in the flesh, the photos aren't to me, they're not really doing it justice. If I, yeah, I think if I saw this thing in the flesh, probably a 7.1, 6.9 or 7.1. That's what I'd probably say. If I saw this thing in the flesh, the photos Eh, I'm not too sure on it. The silhouette is typical DBX silhouette. I don't think they really changed or enhanced too many. They did at the front and the back, but the side, they didn't really enhance any of the, oh, they didn't really enhance the DBX's body lines all that much. The character lines aren't different. The belt line, obviously, that's not going to be different. But yeah, they didn't, as far as I can tell, they didn't really add any additional character lines. They didn't exaggerate any others all that much, except for the silhouettes of the front and the back, because you can see where the changes were made. But yeah, silhouette, pretty much the same. I'd give it a 7.2, 7.3. 7.3 silhouette. It's kind of a fastback SUV because the the C pillar at the very back, end, see, maybe the D pillar at the very, very back where the rear window is, it's raked, so it's very sporty. The problem is it kind of encroaches on the cargo area a bit, but again, very sporty, very Range Rover sport looking, but even more, even more exaggerated than that. So I, I do like it. Let's move to the back here. Something I was... I have to admit, something I was never quite sure about when it came to the DBX was the taillight arrangement but was the taillight arrangement because they took the Aston Martin Vantage taillights, put it on the DBX. And I do like the Vantage taillights, but the problem is that it starts lower and then they have this kick up in the middle. And it creates... What's cool is that it does create this duck tail spoiler look that you pretty much never see on an SUV. Problem is... The problem is to me, I guess it's not really going to hurt visibility, but... The rear window does look pretty small. Rear visibility does look very compromised, especially when you when you're trying to look all the way back. That blind spot behind the quarter window, and it is a big quarter window on the DBX, but behind that, the blind spot's pretty big, and the rear window is very small. And not and that's not helped by the fact that you have the ducktail spoiler that cuts into the available area that Ashton could have used to make the rear window bigger. So ooh, nice looking Aston Martin badge. Yeah, so. I like, I sort of like the design, but that rear window, it's almost a porthole. It's way too small, way too small for an SUV. And I get, I kind of get why they had to do it because it's a sporty SUV and it has to have, it has to have balance and maybe some level of downforce, all the rest of it. But I, I don't like having that little glass in a vehicle this big, just a bit of a shame. I do like the, the other spoiler they have though the the upper rear spoiler because they have the ducktail spoiler that's on the tailgate that's on the bottom of the tailgate and you have the upper rear spoiler that's where rear spoilers typically are on SUVs right at the top of the rear window and I like that I think it's actually bigger it might be a little bit long it might be deeper so to speak it might be deeper than it is on the normal DBX. and I do kind of like that yeah so I don't know I'm kind of mixed on the rear end uh hmm s- seven maybe maybe 6 point eight 6 point eight that feels more right it looks good it's just that from a functionality standpoint it it also appears to be very very compromised uh moving to the lower part of the rear bumper though they've added they've added some pretty pretty meaty looking rear rear vents just behind the rear the rear uh, the rear wheel arch probably venting all that all that air in the rear wheel. Rear wheel well. Looks good. It it adds some layers to the to the rear bumper. I like it a lot actually. It it just breaks it up. It doesn't it makes it it helps it look not so flat. Almost I don't want to say pudgy, but it makes the rear end look chiseled, if that makes any sense. So I, I like that a lot. We have quad tailpipes here. We have a lot of carbon fiber, but it all it if I didn't know any better, it would look like a lot of black cladding on the lower part where the, the you know, where the so-called diffuser is. Kind of fussy to me, a lot going on. I'd prefer it to look a little bit simpler, but I don't hate it. I don't hate it. it. just, the, the fuser part of the rear bumper at the very bottom sticks out way too much to me. It almost looks like an afterthought. Like they tacked it on, they're like, oh crap, we need this to make it look sporty and aggressive And it. It looks like they've given the rear bumper just a fat bottom lip. So I don't, I don't. I don't quite like that. I'm not quite a fan of that. But yeah, the whole rear end, I'd, I'd give a 6.6. From a functionality standpoint, as far as the rear window is concerned, that is a really small rear window. Visibility out the back is going to be very compromised. And I know we have backup cameras, but I'd still prefer to have a bigger rear window in a car like this. Uh, the design is good. It's aggressive. If a little fussy once you start getting to the to the license plate area and below, which is which is low on this car. Uh, but the best part of the rear end is the taillights and the vents at the sides that more likely than not vent all that pressure in the rear wheel well. Just makes the rear end look a little bit more chiseled. Makes the car look a little more athletic all the way around. So exterior out of the way. What about the interior? Well, the interior is typical DBX. It's It's your typical modern Aston Martin interior meant to fit the DBX's packaging. So you have this wraparound, kind of like waterfall effect around the cent- around the cent- central infotainment screen that I quite like. You have, I guess, four buttons and a, and a clock in the middle, which is kind of weird. Are those actually buttons, or what is that? Is there a photo that actually shows that off where I don't have to zoom in to see it? I don't think there is. A lot of exterior shots. A lot of exterior shots, yeah. So I'm going to have to see if I can zoom. Oh, that's such a weird place. So it's actually, so on top... So on top of the central infotainment screen isn't actually a clock and a bunch of other miscellaneous buttons. It's your start button and then drive, neutral, reverse, and park. They've made buttons, but they've horizontally oriented them on top of of the central infotainment screen on the dash. That's so weird. But what's stupid is they put drive, they put the drive button nearer to the passenger. They put it on the passenger side of of the dash why have you done that you're just gonna have to reach over to to engage drive what the hell is that like okay i get the logic because in a normal in a normal like column automatic shifter it's park what like park reverse neutral and and, and, in it in in either case drive is at the bottom right you have to shift all the way close to you you have to shift drive is the closest to you and then park is the furthest from you so i get that so this so the logic here, even though it's buttons, is oh, park is closer to you, then reverse, then neutral, then drive. So it's the same kind of idea, just executed in the form of buttons horizontally oriented on the top of the dash or near the top of the dash, right? So I get that. So on you know, in that in that frame of mind, it makes total sense. But I don't get why you'd put drive, and you know, they weren't gonna be able to get away from it, but I don't get why you put drive so far away from the driver because the drive is closer to the passenger why would you do that i'd prefer it if closer to the gauge cluster like in in that dash surface that's in between the gauge cluster and the central infotainment if they vertically oriented all those buttons so you'd have you'd have the engine start button maybe at the bottom where it normally is and then you have then you have park reverse neutral and then drive is maybe close to the start button. i don't know maybe you do that instead that's what i would do that way, all all of your drive mode, I say drive mode, so, so that all of your gear selections are closer to you. That's what I would do. Rather than, interestingly, but I think quizzically orient them horizontally on top of the dash, on top of literally less than an inch above the central infotainment screen. Why would you put drive so far away from the driver? What the hell? That's That's a bit of a goof to me. Definitely should have put drive, should have put the engine the stop-start button, and then all of the the gear selections in between the gauge cluster and the infotainment screen. That way, at the very least, it's near the driver. That would have made more sense to me. That little tangent aside, though, yeah, the rest of the interior is beautiful. It's very typical Aston martin just with a slightly sporty bent to it. So you have a little bit of, I think you have some orange stitching here and there, although that might be the lighting. Yeah. Again, beautiful interior. Just... It's not that special when compared to the when compared to the normal DBX. There's, to me, outside of maybe some more black black accents here and there, it's not noticeably more unique than a normal DBX. But then again, that's what you have Q by Aston Martin for to really personalize and customize your DBX. Your DBX with so. Yeah, I like it though. I think the car overall is about a seven, maybe seven point one. I like the performance upgrades. I like the power. Uh, I kind of like the design here and there. There's just a few quirky things that to me make no sense outside of the interior, even just the exterior with the tininess of that rear window and the potential, the potential, I hate to say it, it's too strong a word, but for lack of a better word, ugliness of the face. But again, I'll have to see this thing in the flesh to really, to really give my final thoughts on whether or not this is a good looking SUV. In any case, I hope you all enjoyed. If you did, please make sure to like, comment, share. Actually, please make sure to like the like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you are watch on YouTube, like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Please make sure you hit the little notification bell. And then all notifications that you're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have want want the B mobile app, hey, not a problem. Boot up wherever you get your podcast. Type in Cody's Car Conundrum. And then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time before we end i want to inform you all that you can now monetarily support this podcast and indeed the entirety of cody's car conundrum with kofi uh well it might be coffee but it's spelled k-o-f-i and that's weird so i say it kofi in any case kofi is an alternative to patreon where beautifully and as god intended you the supporters don't have to pay a fee like on patreon to support my work So if you like what I do and want to see me cover slash talk about slash make a video regarding something specific or want me to branch out into other areas of car culture, then head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash Cody's Car Conundrum where you can make a minimum donation of $5 towards me and the brand. In return, you'll be helping me afford new equipment, afford upgrades to my existing tools, you'll receive polls asking what topic you want me to dive into next, You'll get to see voted and non-voted content before public release, various forms of recognition for your support, and the ability to vote on merch designs you'd like to see on the Teespring store. And now, it's time to close. You've just listened to me! Probably ramble about some cars, if I'm being honest.